Welcome to C3 Wellington. We're a community on a mission to live, love, and lead like Jesus. For more information about C3 Wellington and to find out about upcoming events and services, visit our website, c3wellington.com. We are so glad you're joining us for this message. We pray it impacts you today. All right, all right, all right, family. Why don't we jump into this and... uh carry on with our deep dive into the Psalms. We're going right back to the very beginning, because it's a very good place to start, according to Julie Andrews anyway. That's all you're getting out of me. I ain't doing any more of that. But we're going right back to Psalm chapter 1 this morning, Psalm chapter 1, six verses of gold, six verses of instruction, six verses of comparison, the good kind that we must do. Uh, we must sit our lives on this and, and, and take from it and glean from it. So Psalm 1 is where we're going to camp out this morning. Let's pray and then let's read it together. Father God, I thank you for our time we have remaining here this morning. And God, I know that you, there's things you want to speak to us. Holy Spirit, there is, there is uh, de- deposits of, of, of knowledge, not just for knowledge's sake, but transformational uh, transformational revelation to tr- transform us from the inside out, to, to maybe remove some stumbling blocks that are in front of us, to maybe redirect our lives in the path that you wish us to go this morning. So, Father, I pray that you would do that work that only you can do this morning, that you would illuminate your word, that you illuminate truth to our hearts this morning, and that as we do that, we would uh, be able to step forward into the purpose you have for us and the relationship that you offer us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Psalm 1, my message this morning is entitled Tree versus Chaff. Tree versus Chaff. And, uh, you know, Chaff. Did I say it wrong? Chaff, Chaff, Chafe. I know about chafing. I'll tell you that. I know all about the chafing. Not that kind of chafe. All right, let's read it. <laughs> Verse 1. Psalm 1, 1 to 6. Here we go. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not... In the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. But I like chaff, 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 (laughs) which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So six verses here that represent a a comparison or a contrast. I think verse 6 is a great verse to understand the context here. It says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so the hope of this psalm, I would say, is not that we would be sitting in a place of judgment. I think you can preach a psalm like this, and, and if you're not careful, it can seem like you've been really harsh on those that are not godly or not righteous, not followers of Jesus, and so therefore we're like, like condemning ungodly people. And that is not the heart here of, of the psalm. The heart is to understand that there is, a, there is a, a way that we ought to walk and a way that we ought to live, and we need to sit here and just look at, lay our own lives, lay our own lives on the Scriptures, not about it's not about going yeah that person or that person no it's about just you <laughs> just you don't, don't worry about the person to the left or to your right don't elbow your wife or your don't do that kind of work you know let the holy spirit be the holy spirit but there is some that we must lay our lives on and allow it to speak to us this morning so this isn't about bashing the uh, those outside of faith 
That's not the context here. But there is important to understand that there is a godly and an ungodly, a righteous and an unrighteous way that we ought to, to live, to meditate, to think, and to move in. Amen? So let's start with the way of the righteous. What is, the question is, what, what the righteous man does not do. This is where it starts. He, the, the, the psalmist starts by saying, this is what the righteous person does not do. Okay? The person in right standing with God, this is what they do not do. So if you're wanting to blossom your relationship with God, if you want to go to greater depths with God, if you're wanting to fall into the, follow the purpose of God, if you want to discover the height, breadth, and width of the love of God, here are some great pointers. Here's some great advice. Here is some great instruction. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man. This word blessed is the word Isha is translated blessed here, but it's the idea of happiness or contentment. I love this. Happy is the man. Content is the man. Full of joy is the man, is the person. It also means to be straight or to be right. So there is a straightness, a rightness, almost like a weightlessness, a correctness uh, in the person that does not do these things, right? So blessed is the man. Happy is the man. Content is the man. Blessed this contentment of life is the man or woman who, who is right or straight with God. The righteous man will be blessed. Blessed means supremely happy or fulfilled. In fact, the Hebrew word is actually a plural, which denotes either a multiplicity of blessings or an intensification of them, the commentator Boyce says. So there is a, there is a, a, a pleading through the scriptures here. Look, I want you to find contentment. I want you to find blessing, a multiplicity of blessing. I want your life to overflow with happiness. So again, God is not the enemy of joy or happiness. The following God and following his way is not an, a, a pathway to mundaneness. It's not a pathway to less. It might be a pathway to a bit of persecution. <laughs> it might be a pathway to some trials. Yes, sure, but it's a pathway to fullness of joy. The following God is a pathway to blessing. So this is why the psalmist is encouraging us. Blessed is and happy is the man who does not do something. He does not walk, sit, or stand in the way of the ungodly, it says here. So uh, I love this. That we can, when we see that, those three things, you can think of it this way. You can see it as thinking, behaving, and belonging, thinking, behaving, and belonging. The righteous man and ungodly man are different in the and they're different in the way they think. They're different in the way they behave and and to whom they belong. The thing about uh, sinners is there's a progression of sin. You know, the thing about these uh, the we don't just you don't just like go down to the to the dairy to get some milk and, and become an alcoholic or you know you you don't just like just you know you don't just fall into into it. But there's a progression, like a numbing. We've talked about this a few weeks ago. There's a numbing or a progression. And so, and so it, it talks about this, that there starts, there's a thinking, a behaving, a belonging. There seems to be like a, pro, a, pro, pro, a, a progression here that, 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 that we're talking about. I've got here, who, um, where am I? I've lost my position. Do, 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 do. There we are. One evil propensity or act leads to another. He who receives bad counsel, then acts by bad counsel, may soon do evil deeds. And he who abandons himself to evil doings may end his life in total apostasy to God. This is what the commentator says. But here's the truth, my words. No one comes to faith with a plan to backslide, do they? No one says yes to Jesus with a plan to walk away. It does, that's not, you don't come and abandon your life and say, yes, I'll follow you. Go through the waters of baptism, sell out your life and, 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 and with the plan of walking away. But it happens. It happens. People in this room know of people that used to be in this room that aren't in the room anymore or a room like this. 
no longer in the gathering of the saints, no longer living their life for the sake of Christ, it happens. And so who we listen to and who informs us, this word counseling, it's not just advice, it's like formal advice. It's like, you know, someone can give you advice, but it's unsolicited. But counseling suggests that you're soliciting some advice. I'm wanting some information here. How, what should I do here? And there is counsel, there is good advice and not so good advice. And, and, and the not so good advice will lead you down a track that will lead your heart away from Christ into a progressive path to apostasy, the commentators say. Thinking, behaving, and belonging is so crucial. Walks not, nor stands with, nor sits, the writer of Psalms says. So let's pack, unpack it a bit further. Walks not in the council. So the ungodly have counsel, and the righteous man will not walk in it. With all the advice that comes to us from so many different sources, the righteous man knows how to stay away from the council of the ungodly. First, it means the righteous man knows how to discern, discern ungodly counsel. Many fail at this point. They do not even consider if counsel is godly or ungodly. It's not even like a, 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 a sort of a test that we run things through, like a, like a filter that we ought to run things through. Many fail at this point. So, look, you've got to understand that. You, you've got to understand, does what you are receiving line up with the Word of God? Is it good counsel? Is it godly counsel? Is it godly counsel? We hear advice or theories about our problems and find ourselves agreeing or disagreeing without even considering, is this godly or ungodly counsel? Right. So, so practical, but so true. Uh, the righteous man is also discerning enough to know that counsel of the ungodly can come from one's own self. Yeah. I would say, and I'll suggest that the greatest, the greatest avenue for ungodly counsel in my world is me. I'm most guilty of giving myself the worst advice possible drawing the worst conclusions and suggesting to myself how things should be or what they look like or how I should take that or what I should do with it or how I should just numerate or ruminate on that thought. Numerate. <laughs> Math. Uh, how I should just ruminate on that thought and, and, and then I want to run a uh, And then, you know, then I tell myself, you know what you should do, Steve, is you should run some, some like outcomes and like chew on those outcomes and things that you ought to say, you might not say, and then how, what you should do. And you can formulate some really good arguments and you can think some things about some people. I give myself the most ungodly counsel at times. Are you the same? Do you relate to that? And so the psalmist is saying, like, uh, this is so crucial that what informs our decision-making, what informs our steps, needs to line up with God's Word. It's critical if you want what he said, that happiness and joy and contentment is found when we don't listen to ungodly counsel, but we listen to the Scriptures, when we listen to the Word of God. So we can be the worst at counseling ourselves. It's, 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 and we can be the best at giving other people advice, can't we? You know, don't do as I do. Do as I say, not as you know. I can, I can, I can coach you on how to run an ultra marathon pretty well. I don't know if I could actually do it. Myself. But anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> the righteous man knows where to find completely godly counsel. Your testimonies, it says in Psalms one nineteen. Your testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. Your testimonies are my counselors, right? So there is a place to go to get formal advice, people. Formal good counsel. It's great, and I'm a, I'm a fan of counseling. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I mean, my journey is, has been irreparably, like it's been altered and significantly. The journey I'm on 
was massively impacted by counseling, like Christian counseling, like actually going to see a counselor. So I'm a massive fan of godly counsel. Uh, and I believe that counseling is a beautiful gift to God, to the church and to people. But I'm just saying that there's a, there's a counselor, actually, you know, whose name is the counselor with a capital C, the Holy Spirit is the capital C counselor. And so you have a counselor, you have the best counselor you could ever ask for if you're in a place of a fork in the road or decision to make or wrestling with maybe some ungodly uh, counsel in your own mind. But here we go there. Your testimonies are also my delight and my counselors, it says in Psalm 119. God's word is always the best counselor. Come on, and godly counselors, listen to this, people, when you're giving advice, will always bring the truth of God's word to help someone who wants that, who needs that. So I want to encourage you, if you're giving counsel to someone, do your words, does your advice line up with the word of God? Nor stands in the path of sinners, it goes on to say. So sinners have a path where they stand, okay? So the righteous man does not, he, he does not belong on that path. Path, it speaks of a way, like a road, a direction, and the righteous man is not traveling in that direction. He's not, we're not going that way. There's a, a time when you've got to make a call. The, the culture might flow this way. People might find this way. And you've got to make a stand. You say, look, I'm not going that way. I'm, I'm going this way. You've got, to, you've got to make a stand. You've got to choose the path. You've got to choose the direction of your life. And sometimes it's countercultural. Oftentimes it's countercultural and flowing against the rhythm of life. Like we, you know, anyway, we could go on about that. But there, as a parent... With sport, things like that, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging, right? Right, so um, I know that uh, for youth junior football, uh, we moved over to Featherston, but before we moved over, junior football was going to shift its days in, 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 from, from Saturdays to Sundays. So now we've got we've to do, what do we do? You know, my son loves playing football, but we want to be planted in the house of God. We've got to make a choice, right? We've got to choose our path, right? We've got to choose. The righteous man is not afraid to take a less traveled road. Because he knows it leads to blessing, happiness, and eternal life. Entered by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, Jesus said. The righteous can have the confidence. It says in Psalm 16, I love this psalm. I love this psalm. It says, you will, you will show me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. So at your right hands are blessings and pleasures forevermore. So God has a path. Okay, God has a road for you to take. And it can be countercultural. Got to remember these things. Nor sits in the seat of scornful, the psalmist continues. So the scornful love to sit and criticize the people of God <laughs> and the things of God. The righteous man will not sit in that seat, in the seat of criticism, in the seat of scornfulness. And um, I'm just trying to remember what the, the, uh, there's another version that uses another word. I can't, it's, it's escaped my, main, my mind, but yeah, it's, it's not the place where we want to sit, nor should we sit. It is not our place to sit in the judgment seat. We're not called to sit in the judgment seat. We're called to sit in the seat of grace and extend grace. We cannot hang off the thread of grace and shoot other people. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And we do this, don't we? You can be, you can be like hanging from the thread of God's grace and like, like machine gunning other people. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, we've got to be so careful that that's not our position, that we don't sit in the seat of scornful, that we're not those that would be quick to criticize, quick to judge, judge the church, judge other Christians. It's just, it's just so easy. And I find, I find, I don't know about you, but as I've journeyed on this Christian journey, I find that the harshest criticism comes from within, not without. 
I find that the harshest sense of criticism comes from within the family of God, more so than I find comes without. Now, we don't, yes, there's persecution. Yes, it's hard. It's a, it's a hard culture we live in as, as, as culture shifts away from Christianity being the moral, the moral uh, standing of, of, of society. But nonetheless, nonetheless, we can be so harsh and so mean to one another. And so, look, I just want to remind you that the Bible says, come on, let's not sit in that seat. Let's not sit in the seat of the scornful. Again, we're talking about what if we want to find a sense of happiness and joy and fulfillment. These are things that will rob us of that. You know, the thing about judgment is it's a barrier to relationship. The thing about judgment is it puts a wall up. It's very hard to be in closeness with somebody when there's judgment in between you. Right? You can't do it. And so you're, you're, there's, a, there's uh, uh, one person once said to me, and I love this language, it probably is counseling language, to be honest. It's, it's good language, but it says you've got to tend to the garden of relationship between you and another person. There's like this, this space of, and like weeds can get in, and things can happen. And if things go unchecked, it can, it can create distance and separation. And we've got to deal to that. We've got to keep maintaining that and, and maintaining that sort of space, lest we end up distancing ourselves. It's so much easier to judge from a distance, isn't it? So much easier to be, you know, to, to, to cast judgment when you're not close up, when you're not walking the mile in that person's shoes. And so, uh, come on, we've got to make sure that we're, we're following God's word here. Let's not sit in that seat. So let's go to the next point. What the righteous man does, that's what he doesn't do. What does he do or she do? He, she delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He delights in the law of the Lord Look, the phrase law of the Lord, uh, written a lot through the Psalms, is not just talking about the law, the, five, the, you know, the first five books of the, of the Bible, the Pentateuch. It's not just talking about the law. It's talking about all of God's written word, all of his written word. So it describes his entire word. All right, so that's, that's important to understand. But here's the question I'd like to ask you. What makes you happy? What gets you excited? <laughs> what is the thing that fires you up? This is a good way to see what is important to you. What makes you happy? What fills you with sense of overwhelming joy? Uh, one commentator said this, and it was, whew, uh, again, quite like, whew, okay. A selfish, self-centered person only finds happiness in personal pleasure. You know, so I'm going to do what makes me happy, and I only find my sense of satisfaction in these things that I do for my good, blah, blah, blah. And so that, that, that's... That is, that is not what we're called to. The righteous man finds his delight, it says, his delight in the law of the Lord. He finds, a righteous person finds their sense of joy and happiness in the word of God, in the truth of God, in the connection to God's word. Martin Luther, the great theologian, said this. He said that he could not live in paradise without the word of God, but he could live well enough in hell with it. That's a strong statement. That's a strong statement. But that's how much weight he puts in the Word of God. And I, I, I think that we've got to be so careful that as uh, uh, in our methodology uh, of, of doing the way that we do church life and Christianity, that we don't neglect the Word of God, that we don't, that we don't think it's all about experiencing the presence of God and, and it's devoid of actually time in the Word of God. And so we want to make sure that we couple these things. It's not just about reading for reading's sake, and we're going to get to that point in a moment, because he actually talks about meditating, meditating. It's not just like, read it, read it, read it, done, tick a box, right? Now, let's get there now. So it says he meditates it day, on it day and night. He ponders it. He, he doesn't just hear it and forget about it. He thinks about it. Come on, Christians, we should be meditating on God's Word. 
Uh, look, in Eastern meditation, it's about emptying your mind, right? That's what Eastern meditation is. Empty your mind, center oneself, you know, and, uh, and that's not what the Bible's talking about here. It's not about emptying your mind. It's about filling your mind with the Word of God. There's a difference. It's not about emptying yourself. It's about filling yourself with the Word of God, filling yourself. And the goal is to fill your mind with the Word of God. It says that, that in Romans 12, too, that we are renewed. Our minds are renewed and washed by the Word of God, that there's a renewing that happens as we come to the Word of God. Meditation is like chewing the cud, like, you know, cows sitting there, chew and chew and chew and chew and chew, and then finally, you know, so we've got to chew over, we've got to chew over it, we're back to ruminating, uh, and get the sweetness, it says, uh, Ash would say this, Meditate, meditation chews the cud and gets the sweetness and, and nutrient virtue of the word into our heart and life. This is the way that God brings forth much fruit. Hmm. Many lack because they only read and do not meditate. It's like walking past the buffet, taking a big whiff, smells delicious, but never grabbing a plate and filling it up. You know, we've got to stop, fill the plate, and eat. Sometimes maybe less is more, family. When we're meditating, maybe you can't get through a whole verse. Maybe you can't, maybe, you know, let alone a chapter. Maybe God's apprehending your heart right then and there on a few words. And you just meditate and, and turn it over and the Holy Spirit's revealing and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You ought to remember the word of God is a two-edged sword. It can, it can cut through everything and can decipher. It's amazing how you can come to the word of God and it can speak directly to you. Like it just punches you between the head. It's like, boom. It's, like, it's amazing. It's like, whoa. Something written thousands of years ago. Even out of the context of the moment of what it's been. What, you might be reading something and the context of what it's saying is completely uh, different, but God just says this boom thing to you. And it's like, whoa, that's amazing how God can do that work. If a person delights in something, you don't have to beg him to do it or to like it. He will do it by himself. You can measure your delight for the word of God by how much you hunger for it. You can measure your delight on your hunger. Measure delight by your hunger. And it says in his law, he meditates day and night. Uh, I think that's uh, pretty good. Day and night, it pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? Day and night, just always. All right, always. All right, how the righteous man is blessed, it goes on. He says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Amen. Come on, we should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. A tree has a continual source of water. It will never wither away because it always gets what it needs. If we're constantly needy, it would be worth examining if we're planted by a river. <laughs> they, this would also be a tree that is strong and stable, sinking down deep roots. The life of a righteous man is marked by strength and stability. I was once heard this phrase and it stuck with me that consistency is the key of character. Good character creates consistency. Come on, we want to be consistent People, consistent people, and we need to be planted in, in the Word of God and in the people of God if we want to withstand seasons that come and go. And it says that uh, it brings forth fruit in its season. And I, I don't know about you, I, I've, I, I've always kind of, I don't know if it's this scripture and other scriptures that kind of sound the same thing, but I've kind of read it like it would always be fruitful, right? And you know, like in every season you'll bear much fruit. Like you're always going to be fruitful. But that's not what the scripture says here. 
The scripture says if you're planted in the word of God and planted deeply in, in relationship with God, walking with God, that you will bring forth fruit in its allotted season. In its season. So you will bear fruit, such as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, the fruit that comes naturally from the tree planted in God. It's an, but also Jesus spoke of bearing fruit in John 15, 5. He says, as we abide in him... We'll bear much fruit, but fruit has a season. So don't get discouraged, friends, when you begin to walk like a righteous person and fruit is not immediately obvious. It's not immediately evident. Come on, let's wait because fruit comes in its season. Bex just said that, that there's seasons. She loves the spring and there's a season of fruitfulness. But I just want to encourage you, if you're not seeing the fruitfulness that you would hope, don't give up. Don't abandon. Don't abandon the, the, what brings you to the dance. Don't abandon the things, the, 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 the spiritual disciplines required to stay. Remember, no one comes to Jesus in a, with, the, uh, with the heart to walk away. But if we, do, we can't treat these things like the, the, the trivial. This is not trivial stuff. Undoubt with sin leads us to distanced relationship, what leads us to a hardened heart, what leads us to, to struggling to find ourselves in a place of worship, we struggle to find it, and then we just and we start to pull away all these things. And before you know it, you never thought I'd never be the person that walked away. Come on, we've got to remember these things are, are so critical, it's so important that we remain planted, that we, we stay faithful in these moments. Come on, one of the most one of the things that can take us out is discouragement that the fruit hasn't come. Discouragement that the season that you'd hoped for hasn't come yet. And so I, it's, it's, I wonder how many people have quit on their 11th hour right before the breakthrough. I wonder how many people have given up right before. It's like they didn't see it, but it was budding. They didn't see it, but it was about to, and they've walked away. They've, they've, they've quit. They've given up right at that moment when it was about to happen. I just want to say to you, friends, stay faithful. Stay committed. Stay connected. Don't quit. Don't give up. I'm telling myself this. Come on. It, it's It's... There's challenging stuff all the time, but God's faithful, amen? He's faithful. He's faithful. There are no barren trees in God's orchard. Yet you may have fits of barrenness, <laughs> seasons, as an apple tree sometimes has. We've got an apple tree and a pear tree in our backyard, and right now they look like sticks. <laughs> They're just like gangly, spindly sticks, and it doesn't look like much is happening. They look pretty much what a dead tree would look like. But they're in a season. They're in a season. They're in a season. All right. Whose leaf also shall not wither. Brown, dead, withered leaves a sign of death and dryness. The righteous man does not have these signs of dry, death and dryness. His leaves will be green and alive. Whatever he does shall prosper. Now, come on. This isn't that the righteous man has the Midas touch. And remember the Midas touch? Anything he touches turns to gold. This isn't that you've what, like, got the genie. You know, give it a rub and... You know, whatever, what, 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 what do I want today? It's not that at all. And, and everything, you know, it's not about that, that God's all about richness and comfortability and wants you to just like have like opulence and, you know, <laughs> just this like level of comfort. I had a good chat with a good friend of mine this week and, and he was talking about how, how it's, a, it's a tough season for them in their business. And, and, uh, and, but we sort of jested like, yeah, that's like, Surely, you know, God realizes that he can do his best work when we're comfortable and well off and no issues and banks full. And surely God understands that's when, you know, we don't need these trials. Like, we don't, you know, we're just joking. Like, you know, in the tough times, in the trials, God does some of his greatest work, right? Some of his greatest work in our hearts. So it's not that what we do prospers like that Midas touch, but God's bringing forth something good and wonderful out of everything. 
God is bringing something good, something worthy of praise out of everything. Every tough circumstance will bring forth something. Every tough circumstance will bring forth something that shall prosper, the Word of God promises. Okay, the way of the ungodly, the dangerous place of the ungodly. The ungodly are not so, it says, but are like chaff, chaff, <laughs> which the wind drives away. Okay, so even everything true about the righteous man, stable as a tree, continual life and nourishment, fruitful, alive, prosperous, is not so regarding the ungodly. It may often seem like the ungodly have these things, and sometimes it seems that they have more than the righteous, but it's not so. Any of these things are fleeting in life of the ungodly. It cannot be said that they don't really have them at all, one theologian said. A like chaff which the wind drives away. So chaff is like the light shell around the kernel of grain. Uh, it's got to be stripped away to be able to get to the kernel. So it's, 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 it was a protective coating, but it's no good for nourishment. And so chaff was light enough. It was so light that if you just threw the grain up into the air into a breeze, it would, the chaff would just be blown away. And so that's what they did in the threshing floor. They would throw the grain up. The wind would blow the chaff out of it, and the grain would fall to the ground. That's, it, it was light. Uh, and, and so the, the Bible's saying that this is actually how unstable and how lacking of substance uh, life can be. Spurgeon said this on chaff, intrinsically worthless, dead, unserviceable, without substance, and easily carried away. There's a huge difference between a tree and chaff. There's a huge difference between tr a tree and chaff. There's a huge difference when the storms of life come, and will they come? Yes, they will come. The Word of God all but promises storms, <laughs> trials, challenges, dark nights of the soul, yet a tree withstands them, chaff does not. One has depth and weight and strength, the other is light and blows away. The psalmist is urging you towards depth and strength, depth of character, depth of connection with God, depth. That's what he's calling us to, depth. He's, he's crying out from thousands of years saying, come on, friend, come on. You can have depth so that when these things come, you will be stable. You will not be shaken. You will remain. You will not be apostate. It's, uh, we, uh, one of the journeys as a pastor, uh, the hardest part, the hardest part of this job not the calling job. <laughs> the hardest part of doing this is, is seeing people come and go. I think it's the hardest part. Uh, you journey with people for a season. You'd hope that those seasons are longer. Um, some seasons end for whatever reason. But the hardest part is, is saying goodbye to someone that you've journeyed uh, in church life with. But as, a, as, as pastors, for Bex and I, our heart is that Whilst you're with us, you know, we want to do life, but if God's calling you out, our number one hope is that you remain in God, that you remain connected, that your relationship with God is what we care the most deepest about. That, you know, and, and we, we, we've had moments where we've met with people and it's like, we don't feel like we're concerned. Not about, it's not, it's not about, it's not, this is not a rejection thing. It's I'm concerned for your well-being. I'm concerned about you and Jesus. Well, let's talk about that. That's what I'm concerned about. And so that's what we're going to be, we're going to remain... Is, is this person going to stay connected? 
Because the greatest heartbreak is it's not that someone might leave C3 Wellington because we are part of the universal church. Plug into a church. Find a church that God, you know, find a place that you feel like you resonate with and that you can be planted in. Just find that place. There are plenty of amazing churches, right? But my concern would be that you'd walk away from God and say, walk away completely. That is the hardest part to, 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 to deal with. And so uh, my, my hope and my heart for all people is that we'll be planted be planted. And it's like our last, like our parting, our parting bit of advice. Just make sure you get planted. Make sure you get planted. We need one another. We need one another. Come on, the, 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 the trees are stronger planted together. They can withstand more planted together. A young tree can be, can be protected by the big trees. This is why we're called to do life together. There's so much more strength in the numbers, amen. There's so much that happens when we are planted. And then it goes on to say, the dangerous future of the ungodly. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Therefore, the ungodly yeah, shall not stand in the judgment, because the ungodly have no weight. <laughs> the chaff has no weight that will be found lacking on the day of judgment. As it was said of King Belshazzar, this is in Daniel, it says, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. What a scary consideration that is. This is not our place to judge. I, I, I remind you, this is not our place to judge, but this is the stark reality of where we find ourselves. This is, this is absolutely truth being spoken here from the Word of God. And all the more reason to pull us into prayer, all the more reason to be praying for our loved ones that are far from God, all the more reason to take weight uh, of our own faith, of the Word of God with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, more reason to, to ensure nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This is, a true, this is true in the future because sinners will not share in the same glorious future of the righteous. And that is, that, is, that is a harsh reality, but it's true. It's also true in the present because sinners sense that they do not need the congregation of the righteous. <sighs> and if you've got a track, you can play that track. That'd be great. This man, this is so true, isn't it? <laughs> that it says that sinners don't, feel like they belong in the congregation of the righteous. Now, you can read this a couple of different ways, right? You can read this like the church isn't a place that people feel welcome. Now, that's, that's, that would be bad. And that would, uh, that would, there it is. <laughs> I think there is a reality for people. They feel like they're not welcome in church or they, they feel like they, you know, I think that's a reality. We're just going to remind ourselves that we've got to be the, the church that's welcoming and opening to all people, you know? Whether or not that's their, a person's view of the church, let it not be a true view, right? So I, I can read it that way. <laughs> but the more, the more closer to what I believe the psalmist is saying here is that when we engage in sin and when we Engage in activities that the Word of God is calling us away from. There is a propensity for us to distance ourselves from the family of God. There is a propensity for us to not want to go to the gathering. There's a propensity for us to want to withdraw, to hold back, to come sit on the back row and disengage or whatever it might be. Whatever it might be, there's a propensity for us to not want to be in the gathering because there's stuff in our hearts that's undealt with and it's at war with the environment. 
You see, the Holy Spirit wants to take the thing away that's poison in your life, that's leading you on a path of destruction, wants to deal with it, but you've got to be willing to humble yourself and open up and let that happen. And if we do not do that work, our hearts get harder. And the scary thing is you can come into a room like this and just can be completely devoid of the feeling of the Holy Spirit in the room and completely detached from it. That's the scariest place to be, in my opinion, is one that lacks any sense of conviction, any sense of pull, and just can be numbed completely to it. And this is what the, I feel this, the psalmist is crying out. Come on, let's not be those that don't even want to be in the gathering of the righteous because we've lost our connection to the, to the relationship we have found in God. This is the call that we would be ones that would, that would be drawn to that we have a desire and a drawing, a drawing to the congregation, to the place where God inhabits, to the place where He dwells, I want to be there. To the place where, like, I want to be in the room. I want to be that place. It's convicting. It's so convicting. But what a great thing to be convicted of. What a great thing. Because friend, you're... Your purpose, your destiny, your created rhythm of your life is that you would be connected to God in a deep way to His people and that He would outwork His love through you and draw other people into it, right? And so there is a war against the purpose of God in your life. There's a war against it, pulling you away from it. And this is the desire of the enemy. If He can't keep you out of the room, He will keep you out of the presence within the room. He'll keep you out of the presence in the room. Such an awesome thing though, isn't it? That the offer is so simple. That the opportunity is always there. We, we, we talked about it, we sung about it, but it's just, just a moment of just letting go and coming back. It's just a moment of saying, you know what? I don't want to be hard-hearted. Don't think that it's like, don't think that you can just turn it around. It gets harder and harder and harder to get back there. It's just if we don't make the effort, let the, let the thought of the people you know that once were passionate for Jesus, that aren't here anymore, let that be a sober reminder that we must be planted. We must be planted. We must be planted. The psalmist ends and talks about the way. The way of the ungodly shall perish. <laughs> the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. I, I love that of the book of Acts. And it wasn't even what the early church labeled themselves, but it was what those looking on at this crazy thing that was happening, they labeled it. They labeled the early church the way. The way. They weren't called Christians and it wasn't called church. They were called the way by how they conducted their lives, how they, they were so countercultural. <laughs> it was about the way they did life. They were called the way. The way of the righteous, not the way of the ungodly. We have to take stock, friends. Which way are we, you know? Which way?